Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Colossians 3, starting at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Ian, thanks very much indeed. Well, as you uh, keep your Bibles uh, open in front of you, uh, let me also encourage you, if you like these sorts of things, to dig out a sermon outline, a handout that uh, was tucked inside your bundle on the way in. Um, I think that will help you to see uh, where we're going, and you might even like to take notes if, uh, if you like doing that. And uh, as I begin this morning, let me say, as I hold this book up, which I've held up a few times over the last few weeks, uh, Graham Bynan's uh, work, uh, God's New Community, I want to acknowledge that almost uh, everything I say this morning uh, has come out of this book. Um, So you could have just stayed at home in bed and read the book, but um, actually you'll be pleased you didn't because of what the book says. Uh, But uh, let's pray now together. Father, thank you very much for your word. Uh, We do thank you uh, so much that your word again and again teaches us and speaks right into our situations. And we pray it would do the same again now. And we pray very much that your word would dwell in us richly, not just this morning, but through our lives, that we may live lives which uh, please you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a confession to make. It's not just that I've read this book and I'm now going to repeat it. Um, The confession is this. I'm not really very good at tennis. Um, That is not a significant revelation to anyone who's uh, seen me play. Uh, But to everyone else here, I feel I need to come clean about how hopeless I am on the tennis court because I heard someone only the other day telling someone else that I'm really quite good. And I felt a little bit embarrassed and wondered, how has this misunderstanding come about? I think it's because over the years I've talked much about tennis. I like it, I like playing it, I like watching it, and I've used plenty of uh, tennis illustrations in my sermons. I've talked about how my backhand has improved. That is improved, that doesn't mean it's good, it just was hopeless before. And I think I might have given the impression that I'm really rather good. Uh, But the truth is I can talk a good game. I've watched enough tennis and listened to enough knowledgeable commentators over the years to sound as if I know what I'm talking about. But as you will know, in whatever your interest is, it's one thing talking about it, it's another thing doing it, or in tennis terms, playing it. And I want to acknowledge this morning that that's true of the church. As Peter said earlier, over these last weeks, we've been thinking about 
what it means to be church. We've been looking at the Bible to say what it, what it is. It is the people of God, not the building, and what we should be there for. And I hope, like me, you've been excited by the thought of us being a united church family who embrace one another's differences, a loving church family who encourage one another with God's word to keep going in the Christian life. It is an attractive thought to be part of such a community like that. And I hope that as we've thought about the church like this, you've said to yourself, that's exactly the church family I'd like to be part of. I hope you've kind of had that thought welling up in you that says, yes, let's aim for that at Christ Church Fullwood. You know, as I've said, let's be a, a loving church. Let's be known for being that. Yes. But it's quite one thing to preach a good church. It's quite another to live it. And the truth is we will make a mess of it. I'll make a mess of it. How hard that will be for you when I've stood here and told you about my longing for us to be a loving church family and then I simply don't live up to it. I will blow it and so will you. Well, when that happens, don't be discouraged. Don't throw in the towel and say this whole church thing and doing all that is just a waste of time. Don't do that at all. Rather, look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances, whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see, this is New Testament church life. It's it's interesting. Often people say to me, I wish we could be like the the New Testament church. Well, yes, I, I do as well. But this is part of it. The need to forgive each other. Because the church is a gathering of, of imperfect people. There'd be no need to write verse 13 if the church were expected to be perfect. We need these verses precisely because we blow it. Now that is not to make light of the mistakes and, and to excuse our failings. When we fail, it will hurt. We will hurt others and be hurt. And that is uh, really tough when we've tried to live the kind of lives that we've been thinking about over these last weeks. As we love each other, giving ourselves to each other, going out of our way for others, when we do that and invest in time and resources into this church family, how hard it is when people say and do things that cause us pain. I just imagine you, you know, you've thrown yourself into being part of the church family because you've been inspired by what you've heard over the last weeks and then somebody says or does something that really hurts, you are likely tempted to say, I have done so much for that church. It's very interesting when you're hurt how it now becomes that church rather than my church. I've done so much for that church. I've given so much of my time and effort to that person and that is how they repay me. It's hard when that happens. But that's exactly the time we need to remember verse 13 and we need to learn to forgive. That indeed is exactly the time when we need to remember the gospel message and what is at the heart of church. For you see, forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel message. It's the reason I'm a Christian. Uh, Back in 1982, I uh, tried to live a better life and I couldn't do it. I blew it even when I was trying hard to live the way I should live. I became a Christian precisely because I couldn't live a perfect life. I knew that I needed Jesus Christ to forgive me because I couldn't be good enough. I couldn't, if I can use this phrase, clean up my act. 
That's exactly why I'm a Christian. I guess you're saying the same of you as well. So we need to remember that. The church is a bunch of forgiven sinners, not a group of perfect saints. And so end of verse 13, we are to forgive as the Lord forgave us. We need to look at the church, uh, at the cross, see how much we've been forgiven and what it costs Jesus to forgive us. That's where we find the motivation, the resources to forgive others. But again, I want to say that's not easy. And I think that's why some Christians are tempted to keep their distance. We don't want to be vulnerable with people because it's too painful when we're let down by those who we've been vulnerable with. Too painful sometimes to give ourselves to others. I was talking to someone just last week who knows a group of people who were terribly hurt by another church many years ago. And this uh, man was telling me that now this other group of Christians stay away from meeting with God's people in any organised way. There may be some in this church family who keep their distance from other individuals within the church family having been let down by them in the past. It's now easier just to avoid them. Uh, Some years ago I heard a speaker talk about drive-through churches in the United States Uh, You'll have seen or heard of drive-through cinemas in the US. Well, apparently you can go to drive-through church. You drive into this huge area, stay in your car, sing the songs, listen to the sermon, then drive out never having left your car. And so never having engaged with others. But that's not church. Church is the people of God interacting with each other not just on Sunday, but in the everyday messiness of life. But you see, I think because some of us have been hurt in the past by other Christians, we are tempted towards, if not drive through church, walk through church. Walk in, walk out, keep our distance, don't really interact with people, not in any meaningful way, because I still believe in Jesus, you see. But I don't do life with other Christians because I've been hurt when I've done that. But that is not the church as the New Testament describes it. A few years back, a Christian man told me of a sermon that he heard on forgiveness. He heard this sermon while visiting the church that his parents were part of, and the man asked his dad, what did you make of that, dad? And his dad said, well, it was very good, but it wasn't relevant to me. I don't have anyone to forgive. And this man said, my dad wasn't being arrogant, He wasn't in denial. He really didn't have anyone to forgive because he hadn't fallen out with anyone or upset anyone. And then the man said very astutely, the problem was my dad didn't live life closely enough to anyone in the church family to have had chance to fall out with anyone. We can protect ourselves from hurt by keeping our distance. We can see church as a place we go on a Sunday. We can walk in and walk out. But actually, if we do that, we lose the wonder of church. If we keep our distance, we never enjoy being part of a community of people who are very different, yet express unity. A place where we do really love one another in practical and sacrificial ways. A place where we encourage each other to keep going, even when it's tough. So rather than keep our distance to avoid being hurt, we need to live together and learn to get to forgive. And there are two huge principles 
here in our passage to help us to do that. Now, that was a very long introduction, so don't fear. It's not going to go on as long as it says, looks like it might on the handout. You, you, you've got to forgive me, even if I do, of course, after that introduction, but uh, I won't, I promise. So the first thing is, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, verse 15. Do you see it there? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is not about peace within us, even though it might look like it. There are other verses in the Bible that talk about that inner peace that God gives believers. It's a wonderful thing. But this peace, this verse he's talking about, is the peace that Jesus Christ brings between us. We can see that in the rest of the verse. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. It's, a, it's a, an outworking of verse 11. In Christ there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ in all. Is what we saw in our first study in, in this uh, series in Ephesians chapter 2. You, you might remember it, how Jesus Christ brings peace between warring factions. In Ephesians chapter 2, it's between Jew and Gentile, people who actually hated each other, people who would normally be at war with each other. In Jesus Christ, we're brought into a glorious relationship of peace. And it's a peace that cannot be found anywhere else in the world. Do you remember when we looked at Ephesians 2? This peace that is found in Christ in the gospel comes without building walls to keep people apart. And it's maintained without force. We don't need a peacekeeping force or a police force to keep this peace. Jesus Christ doesn't force the peace. He changes hearts. So it's a genuine peace between people. And that makes the church different from anything else in the world. So, verse 13, let that peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I have a very fond memories of visiting my nana when I was a little, little lad. Uh, she lived in the same town as our family, so we often went to visit her. Uh, I have evocative memories of walking into her house. And in my eye, mind's eye, as I walk through the front door, I can see a framed patchwork sort of needlework that was hanging on the wall and it said this house is a house of peace and it was I can never remember an argument happening in that house it may well have done I just can't remember it now in the church among God's people we should have Colossians chapter 3 verse 15 in our minds this is a place of peace it's about saying I'm going to be a person of peace about us saying together we're going to be sure that peace rules here among us I think it's saying this I'm going to do everything I can to ensure that peace reigns when that is my attitude it means that I'll make a conscious decision to change the way I react or respond to any situation so Graham Bynan in this book writes suppose someone offends you Immediately your anger is raised and you feel resentments brewing in your heart. Paul says you now have a choice how you'll react. You can let anger and resentment win the day or you can let the peace of Christ rule over it. Isn't that good? It's a choice. And if we're serious about living this, it means clothing ourselves with verse 12, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. We saw it so brilliantly worked out in the children's slot earlier clothing myself with compassion I'll reach out to people 
I'll make a phone call to see how someone's doing because I know they've been through a hard time recently. That brings peace among us. When things haven't gone so well in a conversation, we can be, uh, we can be full of pride and justify ourselves in our actions. Or in humility, as it says in verse 12, we can acknowledge to ourselves uh, that we got it wrong and acknowledge that to others. That brings peace. When someone lets us down, we can get irritated or we can, verse 12, be patient with them. That brings peace. When we've been wronged, we can get resentful and be consumed by the way we've been hurt and hold on to our grievances or we can forgive just as Christ forgave us. Verse 13, that brings peace. See, that's clothing ourselves with the qualities of verses 12 and 13. And in a word, it means being loving, verse 14, because love binds all these things together. We saw it a few weeks ago, didn't we, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we thought about being a loving church. Love is the glue that holds all these other things together. It is hard to fall out with people and uh, long-term hold the grudge if we really love them. It is hard to keep people at arm's length when we really love them. Love holds it all together. So this is our responsibility. In the last uh, few years, I found it liberating to realise that I, as I go into difficult situations, tough conversations, strained meetings, I found it liberating to think, I can't change the way that these people are going to respond towards me. I, I might find that whatever I do or say, it's going to be difficult. I can't control the other person's response. I can't change their heart, but I can control the way I respond and react. And so I can walk into a situation thinking, I'm going to make this, as far as in me lies, a peaceful interaction. Now, I don't always do that, but when I think that way, it doesn't always go well, but it often goes better than it would have done. And sometimes it goes brilliantly. I think this is what it means to have the peace of Christ ruling to clothe myself with these things. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and the peace of Christ will rule when second, over the page on the handout, we let the word of Christ dwell in us. This is verses 16 and 17. The word of Christ there is is the word about Christ. What we might call the gospel. The wonderful truth that Jesus died for me, a sinner. That his death is sufficient to bring me back into relationship with God. That he's wiped every sin away. That his resurrection has defeated death, giving me complete confidence of life beyond the grave with him for eternity. That's what's going on here. For us to have the peace of Christ ruling among us, we must have the word of Christ or the word about Christ dwelling in us. And I love that word dwell there in verse 16. It's a very strong word. It's a word of settled permanence because it's very easy for words to go in one ear and out the other. I hope it's not happening at the moment. When I listen to the uh, radio in the car in the summer and to Test Match Special on Radio 4 Longwave, the Test Match is regularly interrupted by the shipping forecast. And during the shipping forecast, I hear words like dogger and German bite and Viking. And they mean absolutely nothing to me. And I hear details of the temperature and of the direction of the wind. And I don't take any notice of it. I let the words go in one ear and out of the other. 
just seconds after the shipping forecast has ended, you can ask me about it and I won't be able to tell you anything about it. But ask me about the test match and I can tell you everything. The score, who's batting, who's bowling, how many more England need to avoid the follow-on, because that's usually the situation. I have listened in such a way to ensure that the words of the test match special dwells in me. How many times do we say to our children, you're not listening, it's just in one ear and out the other. It is very easy for that to happen with the word of Christ. So, verse 16, we need to ensure that the word of the gospel dwells in us richly, in all its fullness, because the word of Christ is the foundation for the peace of Christ to rule in us. Here, really, is why we have the Bible at everything at Fullwood. The gospel word is the motivation for living as we should. So as the word of Christ is taught, it is our task to work hard to ensure that it dwells in us. That's why we have these handouts, so that we can take notes to really think about it. Now, please, if you're not taking notes, okay. I sometimes sit in the, in the congregation, and I don't want to take notes. I just want to listen and let it seep in. So don't feel awkward about it. I'm just saying, if that's useful, use it. Another way we can do it is to make sure after church we talk about the sermon. That's a good way to have the word dwell in us. Sorry, I just made a mistake there. After church, church continues when we meet together. You see, I got that wrong. Not listening to my own teaching. Another good way to do it is to pray uh, all that you learn in the sermon, to pray it in or in the Bible study. Go home, think about it, pray about it. Get that word dwelling in us. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And then you see verse 16, the word of Christ not only dwells in us through Bible teaching and admonishing, it comes to dwell in us as we, verse 16, sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. I'm very grateful for our musicians, for Matt and the team of musicians here, and those who operate the PA as well, to help us in this, because singing songs is crucial for us, for the word of Christ to dwell in us. Here, of course, is why the content of songs we sing are so crucial, because we sing in order to get the word of Christ dwelling in us. So as we sing, let me urge you to think about the words we're singing and not just get caught up in the tunes. Tunes are important, I'll come to that in a moment. See, verse 16, we're to sing hymns and songs, singing different styles of music because different styles help different people. And music is so helpful because it unlocks the heart. It makes us receptive to the word. How often I found myself singing a great hymn or great song and I find it penetrating my heart, breaking through when I've, I've actually arrived for our meeting kind of hard and cold towards the gospel. We sing and that unlocks my heart. And of course, hymns and songs help the words of Christ, the word of Christ dwell in us because we remember them. Just the other week, I found myself singing over and over that new children's song that we've been learning brick by brick. I had it going around and around in my head all week. I was actually a bit fed up with it, but it was very useful because I was remembering the words. Often I find I have hymns and songs come to me during the day. And when I visit people in old age, people who are very poorly, sometimes people whose memories are not what they were, and sadly sometimes people who can't even remember who they are or where they are, 
Again and again, I discover that these people can remember hymns and songs. People who can barely string an intelligible sentence together can sing along with a hymn, recalling all the lyrics. That's the power of the word of Christ dwelling in me through song. And when that happens, when we've learned good hymns and songs, the word of Christ dwells in us, do you see? Stays with us. And when the word of Christ dwells in us like that, not only through song, through the word of God being taught as well, but when that happens, it should result in us having thankful hearts. See, thankful gratitude is running right through these verses. End of verse 15, be thankful. End of verse 16, sing songs with gratitude. End of verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through Christ. The gospel, the word of Christ, when it dwells in me, makes me a thankful person, or at least it should. And here's the point. It's very hard when I'm thankful for all that God has done for me in and through Christ to still bear grudges at the same time. Again, listen to Graham Bynan on this. When your heart is full of gratitude, the most natural thing to do is to show compassion yourself, to be kind, humble and gentle. When the word of Christ dwells in us, the peace of Christ will rule through us and we'll want to live verses 12, 13 and 14. And when we do that, that will make us a very attractive community of people. As I close, let me tell you about a conversation I had when I I worked in London. My job at the time was to help people think about being a Christian in the workplace I had an email one afternoon from a member of the church family asking me if I could meet up for coffee after her work. So I did. We grabbed a coffee in Starbucks somewhere and she said to me, thanks for meeting me at short notice. I've had a terrible day at the office. I blew it with my colleagues and I don't know how I can be a witness for Christ in my workplace anymore. Uh, She worked for a German bank in the city. It turned out she'd lost her rag with some junior colleagues. She'd had a bit of a rant, said some things that were less than kind. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, but she was right. It wasn't the way a Christian should behave. So as we sat having coffee, we thought about whether that was it as far as our Christian witness was concerned. And we thought about what the gospel was. We remembered again that it wasn't about being a perfect person or there'd be no need for the cross and for Jesus' death and and resurrection and forgiveness. We remembered that being a Christian was at heart about being a forgiven person. We remember that the Christian life begins with us acknowledging before God that we've blown it and asking for his forgiveness. And as we remembered all those things, I suggested that she would walk into work tomorrow morning and the first thing she'd do would be to go to those colleagues who she'd had the rant with and admit she'd made a mistake and ask for forgiveness. And we even suggested that she might buy the team some donuts to have with coffee that morning. And her face lit up, not at the thought of the donuts. Her face lit lit up. Yes, she said. No one does that in our company. We can't admit mistakes. It's a sign of weakness. Everyone's worried that if they say they've got it wrong, they'll miss out on promotion. Do you see, being a Christian is not about being perfect. It means reacting differently when we get it wrong. And that is how it should be in the church family. Not perfection but a readiness to forgive when we've been wronged. A readiness to acknowledge we've failed failed when we've got it wrong. 
And that is a very different way of living in this world. And it's just what I need in this church family because I have a confession to make. One way and another, I get it wrong every day. Let's pray together. We thank you, uh, Heavenly Father, for the wonderful message of the gospel, for the word of Christ, the word about Christ, the word that tells us that we're, for, we're, we're forgiven when we turn to him. Indeed, the word that draws us into him, and the word that gives us a fresh start every day, the word that says that your mercies are new every morning and that your compassion never fails. And just as we have been then forgiven and given that fresh start each day, we ask that we would be those who'd be ready to do the same to others. And so please help us to have this word dwell in us richly. That the peace of Christ would rule in our hearts. That we'd want to be clothed with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love. Clothed with those things so that we would demonstrate to the world a different way of living. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.